evening, Indonesia. This is Doug Livingston in the Renewable Energy Hour, and joined by my my intrepid co-host Alex Aragon. How are you tonight, Alex? Hey, Doug. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. You're sounding tired. Uh, you little, must you must have had a hard a week. Stuffly, but stuffly. All right. Yes. Um, well, well. It tis tis the season. And speaking of which, that that will be the theme of our show. Uh, well. Part of the theme of our show, we'll open up to callers, and callers can go off on tangents uh, on any related renewable energy or carry on with our theme or a couple other things we might bring up. But uh, there's something that uh, Jeff and I always used to do. Uh, Jeff Oldham, who used to co-host before you, was was do a, a seasonal shows on you know, what, what things you should be looking at doing, particularly this time of year, was probably the most important one. And you and I have done one or two along these lines, too. Uh, but we're a little late to be doing it. Um, this sort of retroactive. Yeah, it's kind of late in the year for the season change. <laughs> yeah, retroactive. Uh, I think of the season change as being the the, the autumnal equinox is, is when I would be thinking about these things. Um, but it, it does strike me how often people get sort of caught by surprise when suddenly, uh, basically, winter is upon us and things are very different. Um and well, the thing that really happened lately is it started raining. It started so raining and being cloudy. Rain brings a whole different season. Yeah, rain, yeah. cloud, and shorter days. People often don't realize that you know just the reduced hours of the days and the lower angle of the sun comes pretty fast around the equinox. Um, and and that's one of the old school traditional ones becoming less and less common. But we're probably addressing more of our old school off grid people with this topic than than people who put any systems in in the past couple of years or grid type people. But uh, old school people probably have uh, top of single pole mounts and and those are you can easily change the tilt angle of the array and. Uh, so that's certainly a hallmark of the season change is those people who can change the tilt angle of the array should have done so by now. Um, actually, a lot of the old literature suggests uh, changing it four times a year. But if you look at the uh, the solar energy data at the various angles at the various times of the year, it doesn't make sense to change it four times a year. Twice a year is just fine. You might miss 1% of, of your year's production by... Uh, by changing just twice instead of four times a year uh, over what you could have done. Um, and uh, and I, I keep encountering, Alex, people who uh, who followed the, uh, the sun geometry rule of thumb. And that's that your, your tilt angle with the horizontal in spring and fall should be equal to your latitude. And in summer, it should be about 15 degrees shallower than that. And in wintertime, it should be about 15 degrees steeper. And those rules are based on sun geometry. And uh, in the summertime, that rule works great here in Northern California because... You can see the sun in the summertime. In the wintertime, there's so much more overcast, it biases that angle pretty radically away from that rule of thumb. So the people who are putting their their tilt angle up to 55 degrees in wintertime are actually making a mistake. Uh, but that was a very standard you know, guideline for people. And I still encounter people with arrays that steep in wintertime. Um, um, the, uh, the, the issue with the wintertime tilt angle is that, uh, the best angle to be at on an overcast day is actually horizontal, uh, to, to collect light from the whole sky. And so the more overcast there is, the more it biases that rule of thumb angle back to the horizontal and solar data for this region suggests that the, the best angle to be at, um, in in the winter quarter of the year is about 45 degrees not the 55 that that old rule of thumb suggested and if you're actually taking into account the whole winter half of the year it's more like 40 degrees and uh modern systems uh don't even put in top of pole mounts they're enough more expensive than fixed mounts that you could 
take the difference in cost and pay for the number of panels that would make up the difference of the tilting change. Uh, so if you're putting in a new system, you know, consider a fixed rack mount at, you know, 40 degrees or so if you want to, if you want to max it out for the winter half of the year. But for those of you with a top of pole mount and you haven't changed the angle yet, I suggest changing it to 40, 45 degrees, something in that neighborhood. Uh, that's one of the things that we used to always do in the fall. Um, a lot of the other things are just the uh, the fact that you've been skating along for so long with such rich solar uh, resource that any problem you have is going to rear its ugly head right now. And Alex, we were talking about that a little bit uh, a show or two ago that it's pretty common that, yeah. that suddenly we we off-grid solar geeks suddenly get a lot of calls when the rains first start happening. And it's not because of short circuits and whatnot. It's because, you know, the, there's a battery bank that's been about ready to die for a while, but you had such good sun you never noticed, and then suddenly not. I think there's another phenomenon that... People consume what's available, and they get so used to what's available in the summertime that when the, if you don't have a hugely oversized array or an array sized for wintertime, then there's going to be a shortage in the wintertime, and, and you should start conserving or running the generator. Um, and people often don't start running the generator or don't, don't realize how many things they're leaving on that they didn't used to because it hasn't been an issue for so long. Um, uh, another thing I like to think about is, uh, basic battery maintenance. Have you really checked and cleaned your cables? If you've got corrosion on your battery cables, uh, which is not uncommon with, uh, the most common type of battery used in off-grid systems historically, anyhow, uh, uh, those vented lead-acid batteries, that they tend to off-gas a fair amount in the summertime and carry little droplets of sulfuric acid and that'll accelerate corrosion on battery cables. It's really a good idea to keep them clean, disconnect, and buff up with a wire brush. I like a little rotary brush in my drill. It's a lot less work. Um, and then put on some antioxidant goop. There's all kinds of different flavors. I like uh, ones you'll find in the hardware store marketed to... Uh, to prevent corrosion on aluminum to copper connections. That's good stuff for this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of chemical cleaners. I like physical cleaning with a with a wire brush. And get off any, any of that corrosion um, and put on the goop and put it back together. Uh, perhaps now is a time to look at equalizing your batteries. Uh, equalizing is, is something that can be useful to uh, rejuvenate batteries a little bit for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, where it gets its name is over time, different cells can dr over time. drift yes. out of calibration. Oops, I'm yeah. hearing an echo. Um, yeah, Skype is being weird today. Uh, that that different cells can be more charged than other cells for, for a variety of reasons. A real common one is that one cell is warmer than the others for one reason or another, perhaps because of all that corrosion on that one battery terminal was generating heat. Um, and those cells will self-discharge faster than the other ones. So over time, they'll get slowly out of line with the other ones. And so you bring the batteries to what your system thinks is a normal full charge, and then you take it to a higher voltage than that. Uh, perhaps you should consult with your battery manufacturer what's an appropriate equalized voltage for your nominal battery voltage. Um, it's typically, you know, above 15 volts, 15 to 16 volts for a 12-volt system or, or uh, 30 to 32 volts on a 24-volt system or 60 to 64 volts on a... On a 48 volt system. Uh, hey, heads up, if you have sealed batteries, you do not ever want to equalize. Um, but for those people who have vented, flooded, wet cells, they're often referred to by any of those three names. The ones that have the caps, you can take off and add water to. Um, lead acid batteries. Uh, it's not a bad idea to, you know, at least once a year. Some people swear by once a month. 
people swear by, you know, three times a year. Uh, I I don't mind setting my uh, daily charging parameters fairly aggressively, not quite to equalize settings, um, as long as I'm not seeing too much uh, watering needs uh, for for fairly regular gentle equalizing. Uh, some people will set a gentle equalize in their photovoltaic charge controller for once a month or something like that. Uh, and to do a truly aggressive equalize, you know, up at the high end of those voltage ranges I was talking about, and perhaps for, you know, as much as five hours, that's something I, I tend to do when I know there's a need for it. Um, if you see radically different voltages on your different batteries, uh, that might be an indication. An even better indication is if you see significantly different specific gravity readings uh, from one cell to another. You'd need a hydrometer to make those measurements and perhaps your sacred blue jeans because they will get holy if you're dripping acid on them. But, uh, but measuring with a hydrometer is a really good indicator on a need for equalization. And, and hopefully you have equipment that is set up to be able to do equalization. Many inverters have built-in chargers, and if you're charging through your inverter from your generator, you can probably enable an equalize cycle, hopefully that's programmable, uh, and not some generic default of time and voltage. Um, and uh, this time of year, you may not have a chance to equalize with your photovoltaic array, but uh, if you're it seemed to have less capacity than you used to have. That's that's one thing you might give a try is to do an equalize. Um, an equalize may push your battery bank, you know, over the cliff. If it was, you know, standing on the edge of the cliff, uh, an aggressive equalize may be the last straw. Uh, but it may bring it back, uh, bring back the bank. If it was the last straw, it was going to be the last straw anyhow. So uh, we're back. I uh, did have a caller calling just a minute ago. Um, I don't mind opening up the phone lines if people have other seasonal suggestions or other renewable energy issues they want to address. Uh, the studio number here is 895-2448. And Alex, what do you... Oop, there's, the, there's that caller calling back in. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What's up? Um, my question is, when you're checking the volts on the batteries, um, I was told that the battery, that you're supposed to disconnect all of the batteries. Uh, that, or, that, that's a lot of work and a potential hazard to avoid a problem that you can take care of if you're paying attention to things. Um, the, the... And it depends on what you're what you're looking for. If you're looking for for batteries that are out of sync, you don't have to disconnect them. But what is important is that you're keeping a fairly constant load on them. So if the load suddenly changes, you know you're you're measuring battery one and measuring battery two, and then when you're measuring battery three, suddenly there was change in a load, like your refrigerator cycled on. That would that would screw up your readings. So it's nice to you know be aware if the load suddenly changed. So if you've got a meter in front of you that's telling you what's being drawn from the batteries at the time, and you see a sudden change, you can look up at that meter and say, oh, okay, you know, something just turned on. Uh, but I I do not find it's necessary to disconnect all the cables. Uh, okay. Uh, if you're trying to measure whether they're full or fully charged or something like that i can understand where people are coming from but what i'm looking for is differences from one battery to another and and one way to take care of that is to what do what alex calls a torture load you know put on the toaster or the microwave some very large load that tends to swamp other small variations uh and have a pretty steady large load on uh and measure fairly quickly through the whole battery bank and and that's good enough to to give you at least a first order hey something's up here 
You know, right. Uh, okay. Uh, because I'm, I'm, I heard that, and I thought, boy, that seems like a lot of work. A lot of work this. and potential hazard when you disconnect batteries, uh, cables. Those cables flopping around are surprisingly easy to short circuit, as most people who have done this, uh, you know, have at least once had okay. a cable flop over and touch something it shouldn't. Okay. Um, and another question I had was you mentioned the hydrometer and, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm going on my third one yeah. I'm using cause it's like, they just don't last yeah. or they don't make them to last. Well, and they and, are, they are dealing with acid and that rubber, if it's left out in the sun or anything like that tends to degrade the little turkey baster bulb on the end. Right. Right. Mine, um, mine get hurt in the toolbox. Yeah. I mean, I try to keep that separate from, you know, I, I treat it like crystal, you know. You should. Like and, and, and keeping it clean. It's very important that you not dip a dirty, you know, tube down in your, in your battery's chemistry. Right. Now, could I, like, in between doing that, just, like, put a rinse with the distilled water in it just to flush everything out, brush, you know, just to flush out all the acid... Uh, from the previous one? Nah, if there's a drop or two in there, that shouldn't affect the reading significantly okay. enough to worry about. It. I think that's probably more trouble than it's worth. Although I right. I, I understand why you're why you're going there and technically you would get a more accurate reading if you if you rinsed it out with distilled water and then dried it because this distilled water is likely to cause a bigger error than the previous battery's electrolyte. I see. I see. Yeah, because on the hydrometer, when it shows, okay, you see the green, and it says good, and white is like, it's fair, and then you get to the red, and it's like, ooh, bad. And <laughs> uh, well, and you've probably been concerned because you've never been well into the green, right? Right. And if I, <laughs> if I am, if I, when I have been in the green, it's just I've barely. been like toggling. Just from the green to the right, white, which right. Not been like which, which is spot on perfect. Uh, the reason for that is those hydrometers are made for automotive starting batteries, you know, the ones that start engines, not deep cycle batteries. And the starting batteries use a hotter acid, a more concentrated acid. And so that green is only valid for a starting battery, not for a deep cycle battery. Uh, okay, to, uh, well, that, that's good to know uh, because to, I was like, God, we're just... We just kind of suck, you know. <laughs> no, a good, a good, fully charged, good health deep cycle battery is typically in the one point two five neighborhood. At one point two five neighborhood, and that's okay. probably right on the edge of the green on those automotive hydrometers. Right, right, because I'm in the process of like, okay, now I want to make sure that the health that they're getting the charge because, as you said in the beginning of the show, now with the time change and. The sun not being there, I feel like, you know, yeah. I'm charging my batteries, like, so much more. With your generator. Um, with the generator, yeah, yes. Yeah, well, that's typical. Uh, have you looked at the price of solar panels lately? There. Um, I have. Hmm. I've just been on the fence of, you know, what, what my next move is, because I know I need to get more solar panels, obviously, and another charge controller, and... You know, figuring out where to put. Cause I'm not putting anything on my roof. I have land to, you know, to to. Um, nice wide open. It. Right, right. But now that other question is, is you know, what kind of gauge wire do I need? If I, for like, say, 250 feet, if I am gonna yeah. get these new panels and then um, cable them over to the. To the battery bank, you know, Wh whoever my wh solar room is. Whoever's selling you the panels and the charge controller should be able to answer that for you. If they can't find a new supplier, uh, it depends wildly on how big that array is, uh, how many strings it's been configured into, and what voltage it's being transmitted at, and that varies wildly from one array to another array. So there's not a generic answer for that. Right. Right. Right, and that's why I haven't pulled the trigger yet because there's just so many manufacturers out there. I mean, I mean, it's oh, it's, bad. It, it's it's not so much which manufacturers; it's it's how you decided to configure the array. 
um, and what type of charge controller you have. Some charge controllers you can wire the array to significantly higher voltage than than your battery bank and use much smaller wire. Um, and yeah, and that that's that's because I, I have a, a Schneider MPPT eighty sixty. So I was told that it could take up to four thousand uh, watt on the solar panels. Because I ha- I don't have a lot of do you have, panels. Right do you have a forty-eight volt? Yeah, battery bank. Good, system. good, good. Because that four thousand watts uh, uh, would have been for a forty-eight volt bank. It would have been you know a thousand watts for a twelve volt bank. Same charge controller. Right, right. Um, yeah. So there's just and, a lot to. And it's Go the ahead. it's their it's their XW one fifty volt. I. Think so. Um, yeah, and depends on what type of panels you get. Yeah, you can easily do three sixty-cell modules per series string, and right. that, that'll well, the other. Go ahead. That'll determine you know what voltage you're you're traveling at, and you can add up all your strings amperages to see what total amperage. And 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 most respectable dealers would would do that quick calculation for you once once you decided what your array was. Right, because I—I I mean, ideally, what I could do, if I could keep stringing, I—I I have 175 watt panels now. I have 12, so if I could get more, they don't—I really, don't even see. They, it. they don't make them anymore. Right, right. So that makes it difficult for me to be able to extend. Do you, do you know how many modules that, per string you're doing? Uh, 12. I have twelve panels. Twelve panels, but uh, so it's like twenty one hundred watts. Right. That that's the total size of the array. Are the panels wired in uh, series strings of two or three? I I don't know. I know it, when I see them, it's like okay. I think I'm pretty sure I know yeah. what I'm talking about. Well, but. you you could yeah. You wanna you wanna find that out before you start adding new panels into that same charge controller. Right, right, but like I said, I think I'm just going to keep what I got and and do a whole new charge controller and, and just start a whole from new, yeah. Exactly. Th- then you've got total freedom, and it'll be so. more efficient. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still, you know, I'm looking for somebody to, you know, to be, you know, going going on the next step, but with DIYers and trying to, you know, do as much as we can on our own. So. You know, it's a learning curve. It but is. I do appreciate all the information you've given me. And I know in the past, you I think the last uh, session, you had given someone your address. I, you had any other questions? or? Yeah, I did. You know, I did. I, I'm not really supposed to do that. but uh, uh, and, and I bet you Alex doesn't even want to. He's so busy. So am I. I'm pretty busy, too. But if you've... Uh, I, I don't mind giving out my email again. It's Livingston Consulting at Hughes dot net. Okay. Okay. Well I, I definitely appreciate all the information and appreciate your show and you're very, everybody. You're very welcome. Thanks for the call. All righty. Bye bye. Just gonna remind people, take really good care of your batteries. Right now, uh L sixteen batteries, the uh, building block lead acid batteries are really hard to get. Uh, they aren't available in, uh, locally and even in Sonoma County in some cases. I just had to ship, get some shipped over from Pennsylvania. Oh, my there. God. Shipping L-16 batteries across the country? What was the shipping charge more than the batteries? Well, it was, it was pretty up there. I mean, it's part of the uh, you know, part of the distribution network I got it through, so I'm not paying a whole lot for it. But All right. Definitely uh, can be a while to get them. Uh, even battery systems, the company I've got batteries from, you know, for years, uh, they said they're out of L16s for the end of the year. Wow. Wow. Maybe it's time for some lithium-ion. Hi. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Uh, I'd like to ask about if I wanted to install my own charging system for my electric car, which I don't have yet, but I would like to buy one. And uh, I'm just wondering when they, you plug the plug from your your uh, wall into your car, is that going in as DC or AC? Oh, there's there's usually a converter in there that's converting to to uh, DC, I believe. Um, 
but the source power is AC. Yeah, the house the house power would be the source power if you're on PG and E, and and you you hopefully are on a 240 volt circuit on house power and not on 120, or it'll take forever. So if I were going to would would I use some sort of an inverter not with my with my AC usage at my home? I'm on solar and I have an inverter that supplies AC. But uh, if I were going to rig a system to charge my car. Would uh, would I use an inverter, a large inverter like a forty-eight? Oh, uh, oh no, you'd you'd want to use a, a a car charger. Um, that's that's the opposite of an inverter. It's converting AC to DC. So I would have my D my DC and, and, input and you de- from you, my array oh, into this car charger oh, as a DC. Oh, uh, hmm. Uh, you'd better talk to your car manufacturer what the charging voltage and parameters are. They could be sensitive, and and I would have a tendency to use stuff made for it. I think I, think I hear him asking about uh, his power system. Uh, he's got a DC coming in from a solar array. Yeah, in most cases, you're going to be converting that to AC through your inverter for your regular house system. And hopefully it's going to be big enough that you could run a pretty big uh, charger to go to your car. Which a lot of off-grid systems don't have that big of a of an inverter um but uh he was wondering if he if he was wondering if he could go straight from the arrays dc to the car yeah i don't know of any uh readily made the device out there that could do that there might be one but and and you could probably do it if you were a decent engineer and talked to the car manufacturer but uh but you may be voiding the warranty of your car (laughs) i don't know User products that are available for that. And I just tried to find uh, sources on the web. Yeah. Or an, another. I saw one. Uh, I saw one company. I think they were up in Canada that made a a unit that you hang on the wall that you can plug into your car. And uh, but it didn't give me any information about uh, what I would input into that unit that that it would be on the wall. If it would be DC or just regular. Oh, they're, uh, AC power. they're almost always, you know, expecting AC power. At yeah, least that's must, what that's what the main. Tell you otherwise, it's going to be AC. Input. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, would I have like a large inverter, like maybe it would handle four thousand watts or something like? What would the wattage be that I need to put into? A oh, car? they can be even higher than that. Yeah, it sounds, like, 30, I, it sounds like I need a real. Uh, engineer to do some calculating for me yeah or your off-grid system may not be big enough to handle an electric car oh well i thought if i thought you know i don't drive very much i thought if i had uh a long charge time between using my car that i could eventually just charge the car directly from my own system Do, do you have a do you have 240 volts available in your home no, that's why I'm asking. Okay, okay, then, then, the then the the standard twenty uh, volt system, twenty four volt system, and how big? Small system. How big is your it'll inverter? Run my, it'll run my big shop vac, or run my. Uh, you know, I have a hot plate. I use it on. Do you know how big your inverter is? It's thirty five hundred watt. Okay, that God, that might be able to handle one of the 120 volt chargers uh you'd want to look up specs on the 120 volt chargers but you don't want a 240 volt standard charger the 120 volt chargers are way slower but in your case that's a good thing so you're saying i don't want to there is such a thing then as a 240 volt inverter oh yeah plenty oh good well that uh that's very interesting because I'm sure that I'm going to have to have, like you were saying, 240 volts. No, no, those will those will be even higher power, um, and so you need megawattage of inverter. By doing the standard 120 volt chargers, the big drawback on them is they're so slow at charging. But in your case, that's a good thing because you don't have enough excess power and you don't drive very much, and so slow charging is probably fine. Well, I'm, I'm looking toward, uh, right now, I'm, I'm not in a real sunny area. I, I, in the wintertime, of course, here, we don't get much sun, but uh, I'm looking toward uh, down around the suburban area of Bakersfield where there's a lot of sun. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I wouldn't. I don't even think I need wind power down there to 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 provide the power for the car. Uh, wind power? You're, you're currently using wind power? No, I wish I had wind power because when we get uh, the winter months, we don't have hardly any sun yeah. and we have a lot of wind. Yeah, those wind turbines are expensive and don't put out as much as most people do, and panels are cheap. Most people have decided, you know, unless you're in an awesome wind resource location, it, it it's way cheaper to just buy more panels to cover your winter need. And, of course, then I need to have really good batteries. Like, I don't think the lead out, you know, I know Elon Musk said once that, uh, he said lead acid batteries suck. <laughs> and uh, so does so does right cobalt. Don't, don't they make uh, good lithium ion batteries for <laughs> storing solar power? Oh yes, yeah. Alex does them all the time. I've, I've done them a handful of times. They are they are sweet batteries. They are way lighter, way smaller, but they're hugely more expensive and require some very specific equipment in order to meet their parameters, which old solar equipment is likely not to. Very interesting. I'm going to have to. Oops, what well, Alex? To Alex is trying to jump in. Carefully, I'm going to have to do some leg work. I think. Hey, Alex, what were you saying? I was going to say I work on many systems that uh, are off grid that actually charge electric vehicles, also, but they are pretty substantial systems. Yeah, big. <laughs> yeah, it's very doable, but you really do have to. Uh, you really have to plan ahead. You know, don't don't buy your uh, don't set up your solar first and then try to fit in the the car. The, uh, solar. You want to. You want to. You know, plan ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he was realizing that. He was saying, I'm going to have to do some research, and we give you the thumbs up on that. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. We have full lines. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi. Um, I'm wondering if uh, you know uh, what PG&E is up to with the... Uh, uh, trying to get the PUC to allow them to charge monthly fees to people with solar uh, who are feeding back into the system. Well, and it seems like a huge uh, issue that I'm surprised that we haven't heard more about. We, we were just talking about this before the show, and uh, I had not heard of this. Um, Alex, what, what did you find out? Yeah, there's a, there's a push that's going on to try to change the whole... Uh, feedback programs, all the uh, the net metering uh, programs, there's actually groups that are trying to eliminate it. Uh, you know, it's partially by uh, utilities, of course. But also, uh, there's people who are thinking that it's unfair to, uh, to poorer uh, rate payers because people who aren't able to afford solar, the theory is that they're winding up, they're ending up having to pay higher rates than people who have solar are. Yeah, actually, it's, it's brought the rates down for everyone. Yeah, but this is what's going on uh, legislatively. We know how politics go these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Facts, facts aren't necessarily the most important thing. And, and my guess is all those poor people complaining are actually the utilities in the background. Yeah, with a few uh, few shows put forward for them. And, and but, my, my guess is that the legislation would not take people who are currently net metering off of net metering it would just apply to new solar systems but uh boy i would like to find out more about this and 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 lobby my representatives well they, hey you guys this this is is huge uh, looking into it um uh if they they, they could charge a somebody who's feeding back uh you know grid intertie to pg and e they're talking about charging you know 80 bucks 80 bucks a month and uh, I know somebody who's using, uh, is doing solar and feeding back into the system. Their bill's only seventy. They pay more, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it's just crazy. I mean, we're feeding back, giving the juice back into PG and E. That that um, that's I, an absurd it, number, and uh, I can't imagine that would stand. Where, where are you hearing this? From two solar installers. Actually, okay. um, well, they're trying yeah. to trying to get you riled up to uh, to call your uh, your representatives, and I expect this is if you're talking legislation, then it's probably at the state level here in California. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but well, but I, I I'd like to I'd like to well I'd like to see what's what's realistically happening and whether it's just this was an idea somebody floated and 
and everybody's panicking, or uh, is there really legislation in the pipeline that's that's being formulated? And if that's gone that far, then oh hell yeah, call your yeah. There's a petition out there online that people can sign. But I'd love it if it, you guys are great for uh, you, you know if you looked into this and uh, people on listening to the radio would probably really like to hear the, uh, about this. Well, Alex brought it up before the show, and I hadn't heard of it yet. But uh, then again, I'm half out of the loop these days. Yeah, yeah. you live in the bushes, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's California's NEM 3.0 is what they're calling it. Uh, it's in, uh, it's being debated, and, uh, you know. In, at, at the CPUC level or at the legislature? Uh, I believe it's, I believe it's, you know, it's going through the uh, CPUC trying to figure out how they're going to mm, okay. deal with it. So it's going to be big if it uh, makes any changes, but it's still in the Still in the works, still in progress. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Call call the governor. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. Because uh, CPUC is hard to get through to. Yeah. And and it okay. is. Hey, thanks for the call, Rainbow. You bet. And we'll do some research. Good, good. Spread it around. All Bye. Right. Well, we'll find out what it is. NEM3. So all the more reason for people thinking about solar, do it soon before you get stuck on NEM3. Uh, because the way the other NEMs worked, once you were in, you were on those rules that you came in on. All right, we got about 15 minutes left to go before Radiogram comes online. We got open lines for the first time all evening, 895-2448, if you want to join the Renewable Energy Conversation. And, uh, Alex, do you have any other seasonal things you'd like to think about? Oh, not so much. Just, uh, just maintenance stuff. And maintenance. All right. Yeah. Take care of all your stuff. Open up your, uh, combiner boxes and clear out the mud daubers. Clean out the wasps. <laughs> That's a good time of the year when they're slow and cool. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, is this the world's greatest radio station? Uh, we think so. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure. I know a lot um, of our listeners do, too. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about another type of battery. That would be nature's battery, which is firewood. Aha! Uh-huh. And I, hope, I don't mean to change the trajectory of the... Well, it's renewable energy, too, as long as you're harvesting in a sustainable way. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and so being in the business, I think it's really time to... Uh, uh, do a safety check, a uh, 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 wise burning, in other words, fire-wise. Make sure your chimney is clean, your spark rest strip above is clean, and and uh, any kind of gutter debris or roof debris after it dries up a little bit could be a hazard. So uh, just a little safety, little safety check up there. All right, those are great ones. That's a good seasonal thing to be doing. Do in the in the chimney sweep world is there a particular time of year people tend to do that do they do that in the summer or right before the burning season starts uh, what or? we always say is once or twice a year or as needed and i think the record is five days somebody did something very wrong and the, their chimney plugged up their screen around the cap up there plugged up uh and it can happen and i know somebody that went for uh, a decade or so without doing that also how old is your chimney uh, Compared to your car, how old is the exhaust system in your car? Pro- probably not as old as the exhaust system in some houses. So yeah, yeah. it's time for really a good expect. Uh, brush it down, uh, stick a high-power flashlight down there and take a look at it. Uh, hopefully you're comfortable on a roof and comfortable with ladder safety. If not, get a professional, but they're very busy this time of year, so it's just time to... Widen your margin of safety a little bit. Yeah. All right. Good. Good heads up and reminders. Yeah. And uh, the the other thing coming on is uh, the season where it could get very very cold and frosty and even uh, you know I I don't know if they're predicting this but we have had very severe freezes in this area uh, a decade or so ago and that could happen again I I have no idea how or when, but it, it could happen, and that and that uh, can be very expensive and can block your ability to start. What There's a new season, there's a new fire season right now, and that is structure fire, indoor fires, and 
certainly look at your wood stove and make sure that uh, that's safe and it's not going to cause a structure fire. Not to mention batteries and gas and propane tanks and gasoline generators and all that. So mm-hmm. it is a, certainly a new fire season starting right now. But in in the house and not out in the forest. Well, in the house and sheds, uh, there's right. been some uh, battery shed, generator shed fires lately, and it's just a time to uh, put on our safety caps and go out and take a look at things and make sure that e- even though it's you know, nice and gooey and wet out there in the forest, it uh, we we have some environments us humans do to to deal with. I think it's very important that we go out and look at it and evaluate and take some action as needed. Yeah, anyway, David from Willis. Yep, thanks for the call, David. I, I hope I've uh, um, potted up all right. I feel pretty good on this end. Uh, yep, no, you're coming through. All right, thank you. Hey, take care. Bye. And uh, hopefully uh, there's not catastrophic emergencies happening that I should be aware of because the emergency phone flasher keeps lighting up, and I think that's just a rollover problem since I got a person trying to call into the studio on it earlier. But if that happens again, I will uh, I will answer it in case there is a real emergency that needs to be announced. Um, I've never seen that happen before. But anyhow, if you were just calling and I wasn't answering, it was because it was on a different phone that's not attached to the board that it was coming through to. So call again at 895-2448. We've got open lines again. We've got about 10 minutes left in the show. Um, one one nice thing about the rains is that takes care of one year maintenance problems, and that's your ray often gets cleaned. Yeah, <laughs> uh, especially the the off grid people uh, by the mountain dirt road tend to accumulate a lot of dust on their ray, just like the grid tied people by the freeway. Um, but um. Let's see, what other fun maintenance or seasonal issues do we need to worry about? Um, yeah, keep keep in mind, don't run, you know, don't run your generator in a closed shed. That's one I see a lot that is going to be doomed for the generator. And potential fire hazard, as Dave just called said. Um, There's a lot of issues with putting a generator in a room. you got to think about uh, not only the exhaust, but you also have to be able to get rid of the heat. Oh, you also have to it, have combustion air yeah, come it's, in. It's the heat that I'm most worried about. But we do have a caller. Hello, caller. You're live on the Renewable Energy Hour. Oh, hi. Um, I hope this uh, call is going through. My reception is hearing you strong f- right now. We're hearing you fine. Okay. Okay, great. Um, hey, I, just, I wasn't listening, and I just got a call from a friend who gave me a heads up that you were that there was some discussion about the M3 issue? Yes, yes, there was. We uh, um, we haven't done our homework yet. I, I was completely out of the loop, and Alex had heard something about it and was doing just a couple of minutes of research before the show, but so far we don't know much. Do you? Okay, well, I'm, I'm very well versed in this because I have a solar company in Mendocino County, and it's an existential threat to the rooftop solar industry, what's going on right now. I don't mm-hmm. people... We're trying to get people to understand, like, how serious this is. The, the utilities are literally trying to kill the rooftop solar industry, well, they, and they, they might be able to. They've tried before and, and have had some successful whacks at it. Uh, what, what are they proposing? Well, um, so I don't know if, how much to explain, but NEM3 is, you know, the net energy metering, the relationship you have with utilities so you can sell back power if you're grid type. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's getting revised at the PUC, like they're updating the rules. And so there's this proceeding, and all the parties, utilities, the solar industry, the public, you know, can have been putting in proposals for what they think the new rules should be. And um, the utilities proposal, which they seem to have a, a good ear at the PUC, is they, they want to... Um, oh, oh, they, they are they on the board of-, of the CPUC. Pardon? They're on the board of the CPUC. They're part of the CPUC. Well, not really. There's five. There's five commissioners who are going to make the final decision. None of them are actually literally utility people. But oh, they used to be. Um, yeah, maybe they did. Um, but of the five members of the board, um, the commission, none of them are like super solar advocates. 
you know, some of them are kind of leaning towards solar, some are middle of the road, and some are like against solar, you know, rooftop solar. So the proposals from the utilities are, instead of getting like full retail credit when your meter's running backwards, they want to cut that to a fraction of that. And then on top of that, they want to uh, charge fees to solar customers of between like 50 and $95 a month. Yeah, that's so, that's absurd. Um, that would that would completely wipe out the value proposition for having solar. So, how do you influence and, the decisions of the CPUC? Do you and who who has any control over them? Do you do we call the governor? Well, the, the yeah, the campaign right now is to try to get Newsom to intervene because apparently yeah. there's um, the, the you know the, there's an administrative law judge who's taking in all this testimony and proposals and is going to make a preliminary decision in early December. And then there's another period where there's some more time for input or something. And then there'll be a final vote probably in early January. And during that time, Newsom, I don't know exactly how he can lean on the, the commissioners, but um, that's sort of like our only hope at this point. So there's um, a big push in the solar and environmental world to, we're trying to get 100,000 public comments into the PUC um, in the next couple of weeks. And the way to do that is to go to, SaveCaliforniaSolar.org, and there's you know there's a petition and there's other information there. Um, so the, the same thing happened in Nevada maybe five years ago or something, and they pushed it through, and the solar industry just closed their doors and, like overnight, just folded up and left because you know there was no point in trying to sell solar into that environment. It got overturned after a couple of years by lawsuits and you know a whole bunch of pushback. Um, so it got you know reinstated. So they're doing solar in Nevada, but you know we're we're really looking at this seriously. It's like an existential threat to distributed solar. I mean, mm-hmm. the utilities mm-hmm. they want to have big, you know, giant utility solar systems out in the desert and build big transmission lines that they get you know guaranteed profits for you know right. percentage of their investment. But they don't they don't like people having solar on their homes and businesses and stuff. So. Um, so it, you want to make big comments. deal. It's very serious. Pardon? You want to make comments to SaveCaliforniaSolar.org? That's what it was? SaveCaliforniaSolar.org. Save yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And time is of the essence. We're trying to get, you know, 100,000 comments in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and perhaps... Uh perhaps a call to the governor and state legislators. Absolutely. Is uh, worth. Yeah, there's a lot of material on that website. That, you know, those actions that right. people can take. So we will check it out. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for giving us that that place to look further. Yeah, you bet. Right up. Upside right up when you search okay. Save California Solar. All right. Dot org. Yep. Dot org. Okay. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for the contact. Bye bye. People. So in, we only have a couple minutes left. We, um, we do. You got you got something to to fill in those last couple of minutes. Well, uh, there's this letter that they wanted to put on there. It's the dear Governor Newsom, uh, California is a solar state where power from the sun belongs to everyone. Our commitment to growing so- local rooftop solar is critical to meeting our ambitious clean energy goals. Popular policies like net in- ener- like sorry, <coughs> popular policies like net metering help California reach 1 million solar rooftops and are growing solar and working in middle-class neighborhoods, which make up nearly half of all new solar installations. Big utilities are standing in the way of California's progress. They are, lo- they are lobbying the California Public Utilities Commission to add a $65 to $90 monthly solar penalty fee to their energy bills and drastically reduce the credit solar consumers are receiving for selling the excess energy they produce. This is an effort by utilities to grab more profit at the expense of the public. The utility profit grab is out of line with California's clean energy vision. It takes us back to a time when solar was only affordable for wealthy households. It would also cost California tens of billions over time, each uh, ratepayer $295 a year. Californians are counting on you to support rooftop solar and stop the utility power grab. Keep California a solar state by protecting the successful policies that are driving our success. So that's uh, that's uh, SaveCaliforniaSolar.org. There's a form you can uh, sign and send it in. Get a petition, as uh, yep. the previous caller was urging us to do. Um, God, the the CPUC is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, we got. Uh, do we have two minutes? Hey, Tyler, you got to make it quick. You're live yeah, right here. Yeah, quick. So this is this is to support the previous caller with an environmental issue around this, which is I was in the desert a couple of years ago with my wife, and there was a big sign saying solar farm being installed. There was probably 400 acres of Joshua trees that had been cut down in order to put in a big solar farm in the desert. Oh, so just word. that's something to think about. Yeah, there's also the, the there's also the cost of the fragile ecosystem. There's the cost and, of know, the transmission the, to bring it back cost. to LA and uh, the the amount more sun you get in the desert is not anywhere near as much more as most people think. It it's absurd. Right. Uh, you know, it's on the yeah. every rooftop should be filled before we start doing those middle of the exactly. desert ones. Exactly. But that's what PG&E is trying to do. Yeah. So yep. that's And they're trying to make yeah. it uh, unpractical for us to put in solar on our exactly. own. Exactly. And they want to, they don't care if they cut down Joshua trees. No. I mean, that they don't care if they again. cut down redwood trees. They, situation, they, want, they, want still, to cut, you know. they want to cut down, you know, 100 redwood trees in the park at the base of my driveway. Right. Exactly. So, well, thanks for the great show, you guys. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. Alex, you got 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm all good. All right. So so this has been the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston with Alex Aragon. We'll be back in another two weeks. We like to call this the Geek Hour. We alternate with uh, Point and Click on Wednesday evening. So hopefully people uh, have a good week and maybe uh, go check out SaveCaliforniaSolar.org. See you, Alex. Night, everybody. Mendonesia. <laughs> this has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.